Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Um, This morning, we're going to look at some of Mark chapter 2 and 3. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up there to Mark chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 23 in just a minute. Um, but these two stories, we'll get two stories that are back-to-back, uh, they're part of five stories in Mark 2, uh, verse 1 through 3, verse 6. There's five stories in a row that all have to do with Jesus coming into conflict with some of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And uh, they, they just keep disagreeing about some things. And one of the, the issues that those disagreements bring to the surface really has to do with the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Um, he keeps doing things that make them wonder, who is this man and who does he think he is? What's really going on here? Uh, for example, the first story in Mark chapter 2 is when Jesus heals a paralyzed man. But before he heals him, you may remember, Jesus says, first, your sins are forgiven. And that was shocking to the people that heard that. In fact, they asked, what's going on? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus was claiming to forgive sins. They knew God can do that. So they were sort of connecting the dots and saying, he's claiming to be God. It was really a question of his identity. And he knew they were wondering that, and he actually says, well, just so you know that I have authority to forgive sins, uh, let me show you something. And he healed the man. He got up and walked. He was displaying that he, in fact, has authority as God. Uh, there are a couple other stories where uh, you know, Jesus eats with um, some tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees wonder about that. Who are you to be doing that? What's going on? And then when they see that his disciples aren't fasting like some other people, Uh, They ask about that. Why don't your disciples fast? Like, what kind of teacher are you? What's going on? You go all the way forward to chapter 4. There's a well-known story of Jesus calming the storm. And do you remember how his disciples responded to that? They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They knew that only God could control nature. And here's Jesus controlling nature with his words. And their response was, who is this that can do that? I think that's really the primary sort of fundamental question going on in this whole section of Mark. Who is Jesus? And that helps us understand the stories we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Because on one level, both of these stories are about the Sabbath and what's permissible and what's not on the Sabbath. And so we'll touch on some things there. But the more fundamental question is the identity of Jesus. Who is he? What's he like? So some of this uh, just disagreement here, this conflict, brings that issue to the surface. And it's important because that's a question not only do the Pharisees need to answer, but of course it's a question we need to answer. Who do you really believe that Jesus is? So let's take a look at it. Starting in verse 23, it says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
So here's the scene. Jesus and his disciples were walking. It clearly was on the Sabbath, and they were hungry. And they were walking by a field, and uh, there was some grain there. And so they plucked the heads of grain and ate it, just so they wouldn't be hungry. Well, the Pharisees saw that, and they disagreed. They didn't like it. They said, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And they accused Jesus and his disciples, but mostly him, because he was their leader. They were accusing him of breaking the Old Testament law, of sinning by disregarding that Old Testament law. And they weren't completely coming out of nowhere. There is a commandment about the Sabbath. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so there was a command by God that you shouldn't do work on the Sabbath. But there was a lot of disagreement about how to define work. What activities count as work? Which things were okay and which things weren't? And so the, the Pharisees had been debating that for a long time. They were trying to provide some clarity about what would con be considered work, what's okay and what's not on the Sabbath. And as they debated that, they actually came up with a list of 39 activities that were prohibited on the Sabbath. 39 things they would say, that's work, you can't do it. One of the things on that list was harvesting, including, very specifically apparently, just simply picking some grain and eating it. I don't know if many farmers would consider that full-blown harvesting, uh, but for these Pharisees, they thought it was in that category, and therefore it was wrong to do. Jesus obviously thought it was okay. And so you can see the conflict. There's an actual disagreement about a specific issue here. The Pharisees saying you can't do that, and Jesus saying yes, you can. Pharisees saying this is wrong, and Jesus saying no, this is actually right and good. There's a real disagreement with Jesus. And of course, it's possible for us today to still disagree with Jesus about certain things. The world certainly disagrees with Jesus about a lot of things. Uh, you, you know, you might, you might hear that you know, some people in the world say, well, you know, this life on this earth is all there is. And so you've got to get every treasure and pleasure you can in this life. That's all there is. Which Jesus says, no, store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. There's an eternity. So there's a real disagreement about how to live life. Uh, some people would say, look, if a person hurts you, you should actually get even with them. You hurt them back, or at least hold a grudge against them. Jesus says, no, would say there are other ways to get to heaven. Jesus says, no, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's a real disagreement with Jesus on a lot of issues. And when that happens, one of the questions for us is, who are you going to listen to? Uh, do you listen to the world and think they're right, or do you listen to Jesus? Do you listen to what maybe some people around you are saying about a certain issue? Or do you listen to Jesus? And it's possible even at times that we're the ones that, if we're being honest, kind of disagree with Jesus about some things, at least in the sense of we know what he says, but I don't really want to do that right now. I don't feel like doing that right now. This, this other option feels better to me. It seems like a better option. And even if that's the struggle in yourself, you then have to decide who's really in charge here. If I'm disagreeing with Jesus, am I going to listen to myself? 
go with that? Or am I going to listen to Jesus? That's the issue that this story is bringing to the surface for us. And so here's what happens in verse 25. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. We entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So when Jesus responds to them, the first thing he does is take them to a story in the Old Testament about David. One reason this is significant is that Jesus immediately goes to Scripture. He goes to the Bible. He's sort of saying, have you not read? It's right there in the Bible. Let's talk about what the Bible says. That's a common thing for Jesus. Whenever they're kind of confronting him, they were often trying to trap him and test him with these difficult questions. They thought they were difficult. They weren't for Jesus. And consistently his pattern was, what does the Bible say? It's a great example for us. Whenever we're wrestling with questions, trying to figure out what's right or wrong, or we're talking to other people about those issues, or we're discussing something in a small group, we should be in that pattern of saying, what does the Bible say? Let's open up our Bibles and look. Well, what has God said to us? And so that's what Jesus does consistently, including here. It takes him to this story in the Old Testament. A very interesting story about a time when David was on the run from Saul, and he and the people with him were hungry, and they found this priest and were asking him for some help. And the only food the priest had available was called the bread of the presence. And only the priest were supposed to eat that bread. But in this case, they went ahead and gave some to David and the people with him, made an exception to the rule. The rule was fine. It was a good rule. I mean, it was there for a reason. But in this case, they made an exception in order to feed people. I mean, there were really hungry people right there that needed food. It wasn't an exception for no reason. It was a way of providing for people and meeting their needs. And that's why Jesus goes to this story. He's kind of saying to the Pharisees, look, your interpretation and application of some things related to the Sabbath is far too narrow if it doesn't allow for us to feed hungry people. So you just sort of miss the point of what's going on here. They're hungry people, they need to be fed, and the Sabbath should never be used as an excuse to prevent that. Yes, there are some norms and some patterns and those kind of things, but if you see hungry people, feed them if you can. And what he's doing then is really saying that their understanding, the Pharisees, their understanding of the Sabbath is just wrong. I mean, he's, he's confronting them about this. You've got some beliefs, some things that you think are right and wrong, saying you're wrong about that. In fact, look at what he says next about the, their understanding of the Sabbath. He, he brings some clarity to it. Verse 27, he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Let me just pause right there for a second. He gives them this principle about the Sabbath. Apparently something they'd never really considered. It's sort of a different way of, of looking at it. Uh, a different way of um, uh, kind of perceiving what's going on really in this moment and what should be happening in this moment. A different perspective on that. It's this principle. He says that the, uh, the Sabbath was really a gift from God for the benefit of His people. 
He's saying if you see that that's what the Sabbath is intended for, it'll change your approach to it, and it'll change your decisions, or should, even in this specific situation. And so he's giving them this new way of looking, saying, you're wrong. Let me give you a different perspective, a more biblical, correct perspective on this. Now, they wouldn't have liked that. They didn't want a different They thought they were good and right. Um, you know, they'd be sort of like, um, again, I've been here in KL for almost a full week now. One of the things I've learned about people in this city is you guys love food. Uh, and I think for good reason. I've had lots of good food here. But one of the things that's interested me most is, when, is the variety. And I guess that's largely because it's such an international city, and so you've got this food from all over the world. Where I live, like when you say, let's go out to eat, nobody really says, like, what kind of food do you want? Maybe what restaurant, but that's a slightly different question. Here it's like, what type of ethnic food from what country do you want? We've got it, whatever you want, you know? And so we've tried to get a lot of variety, I think, I don't know, people just sort of take us and say, in order for us. But it's all been good, whatever it is. But I think there's a big variety. Uh, can you imagine if, say, you and some friends were sitting around talking about the food and KL and kind of starting to debate which one's really best? And uh, maybe you were saying, well, I think the Indian food here is the best type of food. And somebody else was saying, I think the Chinese food in KL is just the best. And you've got all these different opinions, and you're just kind of debating what's really the best here. Can you imagine if I showed up to that conversation as a guy from who's been here like six days? And I walk up to you and say, no, you're all wrong. I will tell you what food is best in this city. Uh, you'd probably be a little offended, and you should be. Uh, and you'd probably go, who do you think you are? Like, you've been here like five days. Like, we're the experts on the food here. Like, you should be listening to us, right? And in that case, you would be right. That would be an appropriate response. I think that's sort of what's going on here with Jesus and these Pharisees. They saw themselves as the experts on this issue. They're saying, we've thought about this, Jesus. We've had some debate about this. And then here Jesus just kind of shows up and says, no, you're all wrong. There's a whole perspective you haven't even considered. There's a whole different approach that you've just missed. You're wrong. And it would have raised that question for them. Who do you think you are, Jesus, to come in here, to enter into our sort of debate, and tell us what's right and wrong. Who are you to disagree with us about this? The reason I think that would have, we're confident they were kind of wondering that question is what we see in other passages, like I've said, but also because that's the question he addresses next. He tells them the truth about the Sabbath. He knows they're wondering, who are you to tell us this? So he tells them who he is. Verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Who is Jesus to tell them what's right and wrong? He's Lord. Who is he to decide what's okay and what's not on the Sabbath? He is Lord of the Sabbath. And to be Lord is to be the ultimate authority over something. So he is claiming to be the ultimate authority over the Sabbath. Would have been shocking to them. Because according to the Old Testament, who is Lord of the Sabbath? God is. So when Jesus claims that he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the one who invented the Sabbath. He's kind of going, hey, guys, this was my idea. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. He's the one that gave the Sabbath. That's why he can say, I know why it was given. He goes, I am a Lord of it. He's the ultimate authority. And they thought they were in charge this whole time. And here Jesus shows up and says, no, he is comes a question of who has the authority then to make this decision. Or put another way, he claims to be Lord. We have to decide, is he telling the truth? 
is he Lord? If so, you got to listen to what he says. If not, you can write him off and go do whatever you want to do. He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority here. Look at the very next story right after that. Very similar uh, story. It kind of deals with the same fundamental issue. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. <laughs> it's amazing. So that they might accuse him. And what's going on here? So another Sabbath story. He goes into the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. He um, sees a man with a withered hand. He's kind of crippled in his hands. And they were waiting to see if Jesus would uh, heal this man. And if so, they were going to use that as an opportunity, again, to accuse him of doing something wrong on the Sabbath. Now, you might wonder, what could possibly be wrong with healing a person? Well, according to their list of 39... A person should not be healed on the Sabbath. That was considered work. In fact, we see that in a story in Luke uh, 13, a very similar situation. But there, the ruler of the synagogue just says explicitly, he says, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. That was their mindset. That was their approach. And so, again, in their minds... Healing this man would be a violation of the law. And so they were waiting to see if Jesus would do it. And I love the fact, you can sense here, they sort of suspected Jesus just might come in and heal this man. What does that tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he has, at this point, that kind of reputation of loving people so much that even they knew it was very likely he would come in and heal this person. Bring healing to a man, even if it violated those Pharisees' law. He wasn't interested in that. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about Jesus, but one of the things that should come to your mind first is that he is loving. I mean, even these people who hated him, you've seen a minute they wanted to kill him. They disagreed, but even they knew that he was a loving person. The kind of person who just might walk into this situation and heal the man. You know, I think it's a good example for us, not that we'll ever be as perfect as Jesus, obviously, but if we are made new in his image and becoming more like him more and more, we should have that reputation as a people of being loving. When people think of you, that should be one of the first things that comes to their minds. You are loving and compassionate. That you help people whenever you're able, that you love to meet needs with joy, that you value people. We can see the contrast. It could be more clear here, the contrast between Jesus and these Pharisees when they look at this man. To the Pharisees, he was just a prop who was to be used. To Jesus, he was a person to be loved. That was Jesus' approach to this situation. And they knew that, and they just disagreed with him. And so what does he do? He actually takes them to Scripture again. Verse 3, it says, He said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He's quoting uh, from Deuteronomy 30. But notice the pattern again. There's this disagreement. What does Jesus do? Let's look at Scripture. What does the Bible say? 
references Deuteronomy 30, which says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that passage, God was saying options before you, two ways of life you choose. That's what Jesus is saying here. Saying In this moment, there are two options. We could sort of let this man continue to suffer or we could heal him. I could heal him. We could do good or we could do evil. He's saying it's really just sort of a binary option here, Pharisees. Which one do you prefer? Verse 5 says he looked around at them with grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he was restored. How did the Pharisees respond? Well, they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So he heals the man. It's like we would expect. He loves this man. He knows it's okay to heal a man on the Sabbath. I think it's one of the lessons here. It's just always good to do good to people, right? It's always good to love people. The Pharisees didn't like it. Uh, their hearts were hard. You know, what should have happened in a situation like that when they found themselves disagreeing with Jesus? I mean, that's a pretty precarious situation to be in, isn't it? Yeah, if you're just that openly saying, I think you're wrong, Jesus. Uh, what should have happened is they should have acknowledged that and said, well, if we disagree with Jesus... Maybe there's a chance we're wrong. Maybe Jesus is right. Maybe we should reevaluate our list of 39. Maybe we should reconsider our approach to the Sabbath. Perhaps we should listen to him on this one. You know, in a lot of areas of life, we do. All of us. Uh, we, I think there are a lot of ways which we're happy to acknowledge we don't know certain things and other people know more and, and we listen to them and kind of take our cues from them. Uh, in fact, not too long ago, I looked up how-to books on Amazon. If you remember with how-to books? They just tell you how to do anything, uh, anything you're interested in. There's a book on it. Um, and so I just looked up how-to books and uh, there were millions of responses. Uh, there is a massive market for how-to books, which suggests to me there are a lot of people who are willing to buy books that teach us how to do things. People who, in essence, then are saying there's something I don't know. Somebody else is more of an expert. Uh, let me find out what they say and listen to them. My favorite, this is true, there is a how-to book on how to write how-to books. Uh, so uh, there are all sorts of things people are willing to listen to other people about. Now, I know we do a lot more of that on YouTube, don't we? If you've got a question about how to do anything, you can get online and find a video, uh, an instructional video that teaches you. you know, if you want to go plant a garden, you can find somebody who will teach you how to plant a garden. If you want to go build a house on your own, I'm sure you could figure out how to do that just by watching a video online. Uh, then in so many areas of life, we're very willing to be humble enough to say, I'm not the expert here. Someone is. Let me listen to them. But sometimes when it comes to the most important things in life, it's very tempting to take a different approach, to think I'm the expert. When it comes to uh, what to believe, what to prioritize, how to live, how to determine what's right and wrong. Too many times, because of our sinful hearts, we want to think that we can just figure that out on our own. We'll just give it a little thought. Maybe listen to some other sources and draw some conclusions on our own. That's what the Pharisees are kind of doing here, saying we disagree with Jesus. We're going to go with ourselves on this. What should we do? If we ever find ourselves in any way disagreeing with Jesus, we should say, well, he's Lord. He's right. 
He's the authority. And so I'll change my practices. I'll change my convictions. I'll change my beliefs. I'll change my, my patterns of speech. I'll change whatever I need to change to line up with Jesus says. So this is the real issue here. This is, these two stories are kind of about the Sabbath, but not really. It's the deeper issue of who is Jesus here and how are we going to respond to that? Because maybe you don't disagree with him on the Sabbath, but maybe there's something else. Or maybe it's for the, you know, there are other issues that come up. This just sort of serves as a paradigm. But it's the same fundamental issue. And so there's really kind of two main things I think we see here about Jesus. The first, as I've said, is that Jesus is Lord. It should just be our first big takeaway from these two stories. Yes, he is Lord of the Sabbath and he is Lord of everything else. And you just have to decide if you really believe that or not. And in some sense, that's sort of a one-time decision, right? I mean, that's sort of the, the fundamental core Christian confession is Jesus is Lord. Nobody else is Lord. I'm repenting from anything and everything else and looking to Jesus as my Lord from here on out. That is fundamentally what it means to be a Christian. What you really believe about that will show up in a number of ways, countless times throughout every day of your life. Because every time you were tempted to sin, this is the real question you were being forced to answer. In this moment, do I really believe that Jesus is Lord? And do I believe it enough to deny this temptation and to say yes to Jesus and obey him in this moment? In those times where somebody really has hurt you and you were tempted to hold a grudge or get even, but you know that Jesus is said to forgive, in that moment, the question you are answering is this, is he Lord or isn't he? When you're tempted to, to gossip about someone else, but you know the Bible says that you shouldn't, in that moment, that's the question you're answering. Is he Lord or isn't he? To lie, you're in a situation where you think lying can help you out and get you out of a situation, but the Bible says, don't lie, tell the truth. In that moment, is he Lord or isn't he? Countless times every day, we're answering that question. The truth is, he is Lord. And because of that, we should obey him. And if that's all we knew, that he is, he is Lord, uh, that he is an absolute authority, that would be enough for us to give him our absolute loyalty and absolute obedience. But these stories give us more than that. They show us that not only is Jesus Lord, but he is a good Lord. He is loving and kind and compassionate and he wants what's best for his people. He's not using his authority to hurt people in any way. Quite the opposite. He's using his authority for their good. Think about it. If, if the Pharisees got their way in these stories, what would have happened? Hungry people would have stayed hungry, and a crippled man would have continued to suffer. If Jesus got his way, which he did, what happened? Hungry people got fed, and a crippled man got healed. Which of those is better? Not only is he the authority, he's also a good, kind, loving authority. We see that all throughout his life. Think about John 10 where he's saying, no one can take my life from me. He actually says, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. Jesus is saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And what did he choose to do with that authority? To lay his life down for his people. Think about John 15 when he says, look, I'm saying these things to you so that you might abide in my love and I'm giving you these commandments so that your joy might be full, might be complete. 
saying, I'm, I'm teaching you commandments because he wants us to experience his love and to have joy. Jesus wants you to have more joy, not less. And he's saying there is more joy in obedience. There is more joy in acknowledging him as Lord. And saying no matter what the other voices are, no matter how, uh, what's going on in culture, how I might feel in any situation, Jesus is my Lord. And I know he is for me. I know he is good. I know it will actually lead to blessing and joy if I obey him. And friends, I'm convinced that if we hold those two things together, that he is Lord, he is good, then it absolutely changes the way that we live our lives day to day. Because that's a Lord we can trust. We will delight in trusting him and obeying him. He's Lord of the Sabbath and he's Lord of everything else. Let me pray for us and sing another song together. King Jesus, we thank you that you are our Lord. We are glad that you are the ultimate authority and we are not. We also thank you for being so good, so loving, for being the kind of Lord that we can trust so incredibly much. And I pray that you would give us the grace to live as though that's true. In our day-to-day decisions and as we would you just bring these truths to mind, Lord? I pray that those words would actually come to mind when we're tempted this week. Is He Lord? And give us the grace to answer, yes, He is. And so I'm going to obey Him in this moment. And I pray that would lead to tremendous blessing for us and that You would be glorified in it. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.